This is the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks on KQV with expert advice from CPA attorney and retirement and estate planning expert, Jim Lang, the best-selling author of Retire Secure and the Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Now on the air and online worldwide at retiresecure.com, get ready to talk smart money. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. I'm David Baer, here in the studio with Jim Lang, CPA, attorney and author of two best-selling books, Retire Secure and The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. Our subject today is income taxes. No matter who wins the coming presidential election, it's time to develop strategies to minimize your 2012 income tax return. Joining us by phone is Sandy Botkin, CEO of the Tax Reduction Institute, an organization that specializes in the creation and distribution of information to help independent contractors and small business professionals legally, morally, and ethically reduce their taxes. An attorney and CPA, Sandy has extensive financial and legal experience, including five years in the Office of Chief Counsel for the IRS. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Lower Your Taxes Big Time, and the just-released Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. Since our show is live, Jim and Sandy can answer your questions. To join the conversation, call the KQV studios at 412-333-9385. Again, that's 412-333-9385. So stay tuned for an interesting and informative conversation. With that, I'll say hello, Jim, and welcome, Sandy. Well, thank you. Um, for our audience, Sandy has been on several times before. He has provided wonderful income tax information and some also big picture financial information. And it is a real pleasure for me to have him on again. So thank you for agreeing to come, Sandy. Hey, believe me, I'm honored. Um, this year, perhaps more than other years, I mean, every, every year it's always prudent to do tax planning. Uh, this year is a particularly difficult year because of uncertainty. So we have uncertainty as to what's going to happen with the income tax rates. We have uncertainty what's going to happen with the estate tax exemptions. And there's a lot of talk about different alternatives. And I thought, who would be better at analyzing some of the possibilities, some of the probabilities of what may or may not happen, and perhaps more importantly, what you should do than, than Sandy. So let's say under the general um, heading of how to plan with uncertainty, that's, that's really the big question. Um, Sandy, if you like, I have a series of, of, let's say, more specific questions, but do you have any general feelings on planning with uncertainty before we get into some of the specifics? Yes, I do. You know, <laughs> by, by the way, knowing Sandy, that's not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Sandy has an opinion on everything. <laughs> I have, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty opinionated about some of this stuff. Uh, there's no question there's a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of it also depends on not only uncertainty in terms of what IRS will be coming out with, but uncertainty into which presidential candidate will win, what they will get through Congress. I mean, there's, there's lots of that. I think the only way to plan, honestly, is to forget about what could or should or would or might happen and take what is currently scheduled to happen and plan for that. And would just keep in mind that there may be some changes and people have to, you know, adjust their planning accordingly. But that's what I would do. And that's the way I think we should focus on this. Okay, so so you're basically saying, hey, 
right now with and, and let's just talk about income taxes for a moment um and and not a, not estate taxes right now the bush tax cuts are set to expire and even though we have heard congressional rumblings that no they they're going to be extended you think it would be more sound to assume that they are going to expire and act on that that, that basis is that yeah, correct I think it, I think it's very sound policy to assume taxes are going to go up especially when you consider that we have a 16 trillion dollar deficit and rising and I haven't frankly heard any presidential candidate in any debate describe how they're going to start paying off that deficit all right so notwithstanding the possibility and 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 by the way usually I like to keep these shows evergreen but right now we're we're broadcasting before the presidential election so we don't know we just heard um president romney i'm sorry governor romney um governor romney um in the debate say that he would like to cut taxes by 20 percent and let's say make up with for that by closing some of the loopholes which he hasn't been fantastically uh descriptive about which ones he would close and what you're saying is, ah, that sounds very nice, but in the reality, he's just not going to be able to pull that off, and we should plan on what the law is right now. Is that fair, Sandy? I think that's not only fair, but I actually spoke with some people who teach tax policy, and all of them felt there's no way he's going to be able to pull that off. Not if you have a 20% tax cut. Well, f- frank- frankly, at the risk of, of uh, going beyond my expertise and predicting future tax rates, it's certainly beyond my expertise. Um, I think that he would have a, a very hard time. And the other issue that um, comes with, with tax rates is one of the scheduled tax increases is the Medicare surtax. Um, you might want to call it an Obamacare tax um, that will be levied on unearned income for married taxpayers of $250,000 and more um could you first of all say do you think that we should just plan as if it is going to come absolutely i mean I, there's first of all the health care reform act uh, has been approved by the supreme court so we no longer have to worry about whether the supreme court's going to throw that out or not it's absolutely been upheld uh so i would say it's highly likely that there will be an increase in a couple things First thing I think you can assume that the last two tax brackets are going to go up by 3%, which means if you're currently in the 33% bracket, it'll be 36. If you're currently in the 35%, which is generally people making over around 350 or so, it'll be 39.6. In addition to that, there's a so, lot so, of taxes so, coming so, down. So the right there, there's that's 4.6 right right there for for high income taxpayers. That's right. For a high income taxpayer, which let's, let's that, define high income. If you're if you're adjusted gross earnings, it's called modified adjustment. But basically, if your adjusted gross earnings is over two hundred thousand single or two fifty married or one twenty five, if you're married filing separately, yep, so much of a tax simplification, uh, you're going to be hit with a a point nine percent increase in self employed income and in wages. I, for, I, for, I forgot that, about that, the, self, the, the Social Security and self-employment tax. That's correct. And then in addition to that, you'll be hit with a 3.8% Medicare surcharge on dividends, interest, rents, and other passive type of income. And then number three, they're probably going to get rid of the lower capital gains rates on dividends. They'll probably raise that to at least 20%. So people are going to see a very substantial tax increase, I believe, next year and in future years. All right, and 
So so your your thinking is, hey, this is coming. If it if if we get some relief, that's a that's a break. But hey, this is coming, and that you should at least plan um, for these tax increases. Is Absolutely. That fair? All right. Absolutely, and that's the way I'm doing not only with my family, but with my parents and everybody. All right, and and, and by the way, you I I will tell the audience that you have been very forthcoming about what you do on your return. Um, including some stuff that would not be considered fantastically conservative, but are are out there, and you know, so you you walk the walk when you when you put some of your proactive strategies in your book, and 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 by the way, I will I will mention it. David mentioned it briefly, um, but but the book that you have that I know you have another new one, but the book that you are famous with that I buy every year. And I was a little bit unhappy to see that the new edition isn't going to be available into in December. Um, but the by the way, the reason for that is IRS hasn't come out with the latest changes. I, nothing to change. Right. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> um, but you can plan ahead, can't you? <laughs> well, well, you can you can plan ahead. But but anyway, I I will mention the book is lower your taxes big time. Um, the last year was 2011 to 2012. Obviously, the one coming up that will be available December 7th is 2013 to 2014. And one of the things that you could consider doing is you could consider ordering it now. That way you forget about it. And then, boom, it, it, it appears in your either mailbox or your, your Kindle, depending on how you buy your books. But anyway, I, I will just tell you that it is a wealth of information. Today, since we don't have as – we have more individuals and small businesses – we're going to concentrate mainly on tax changes for individuals, but I will tell you that Sandy's information for business owners, and particularly small business owners, is worth a hundred or even a thousand times the cost of the book, um, probably even more. And he has a lot of great ideas and some pretty proactive ideas, things that that a, a lot of people would not necessarily have the courage to put in their books. So before we talk about some of the taxes, the tax increases. Could we talk for a minute about the details of the Medicare surtax? Because this is going to be the first year that this is going to be around, and I think a lot of people don't really know what it is and how it works. Okay. Well, first of all, somebody has to pay for this health care reform. This isn't a free deal, all right? It's not neutral free. Somebody's got to pay for it. And the way they're going to pay partially pay for it is, number one, they're going to try and get the doctors to take less, and that's going to be a whole discussion about whether we'll have two medical systems and two, two tiers of, of care, but that's something else. The way they're going to pay for it is with a Medicare surcharge, and it was two types of Medicare surcharges. One will be a 0.9% increase on self-employed income and wages for anyone who makes over 200000 of adjusted gross income single or 250000 of adjusted gross income and married. So you just got a 0.9 increase on all your earned income, basically. And there's no upper limit to that? No upper limit to that. The second uh, increase, and this is in addition to the regular income tax increases, by the way, the second increase will be a 3.8% Medicare surcharge. So it's a little bit confusing. They're both sort of like surcharges with Medicare. But a 3.8% Medicare surcharge on passive income, things that normally you don't pay Social Security on. And that involves things like uh, interest, taxable interest, not tax-exempt, interest, dividends, um, rents, sale of your home above the universal exclusion, 
any passive type of income, and basically you're taxed on the amount of passive income or, in, or investment income that you have, or the amount that exceeds the threshold, which is 200000 or two fifty, depending on your married, whichever uh, is uh, lesser. So let's take an example. Let's say I make $240,000 a year of adjusted gross earnings, and I'm, and I'm single, and I have $30,000 of interest of that, that comprises that 240000 I pay, there's a, there's a, there's a $40,000 difference between the two hundred, dollars which is the threshold, and the two forty. dollars but I only earn thirty thousand of interest, so that three point eight percent will only be on the thirty thousand. It does not apply to pension distributions. We can talk about Roth rollovers and things like this. It does not apply to pension distributions where you pay tax on it, and it does not apply uh, to um, tax exempt interest. Okay, and it also um, doesn't apply to wages or earned income. The three point eight percent. That's correct. Apply to wages the point nine does. The point nine does. Right, and for anybody that is keeping score, so let's say you are in the top tax bracket, you have a three point eight percent rise on your unearned income, you have a four point six percent rise in your bracket, you have a point nine or nine tenths of one percent um, income tax rise on your social security, and if you're self-employed, you have two shares of that. Is that right? That's correct. All right. So I total. Not to mention I'll, increase in capital gains rates. All right, right. So, uh, <laughs> so, 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 so I'm at nine point three, and if you're talking about the the change in the capital gains rates, that's that's really significant. So, top rate will be about forty three point six or so, not counting states. But, but you know, let me let me mention something. People figure, oh, how high can tax rates go? You know, I remember in the seventies when tax rates were as high as seventy percent. Believe me when I tell you, tax rates can go up. Yeah, and, 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 you, and you've seen it in your career, and um, we've become, I won't say complacent, but it's a, it's a little bit like, well, we don't have to think about that as much, but um, I think that we do. So one of the things that we can talk about is some of the strategies that you can use to avoid this. Absolutely. Or to minimize it. To minimize it, that's yeah, correct. Yeah, that, that's probably a better... And again, you got to, I think you really have to take the position that tax rates in the future are going to go up. All right. So, so even if, let's say that there is an extension of the Bush tax cuts um, that might have some short-term bearing, you're still saying in the long term you, you picture tax rates going up. Oh, even if, even if all the Bush tax cuts are reinstated, even if every one of them, you're still going to have... The 3.8% Medicare surcharge. You're still right. going to have the 0.9% Medicare surcharge. Right. All right. That, that, that's a good point. So there's 4.7% increase right, right there. there. And I think you're going to see increase in income tax rates. Again, when you're talking about a high deficit, somewhere along the line, they're going to have to raise taxes. Even if Romney gets in and has a 20% tax cut, which, which is, I, I think, highly unlikely, but assuming that he does that, I think what you're going to see is going to be huge deficits. There's going to be a whole revolt in Congress, and then they're going to institute, they're going to go back with the same tax rates, if not higher. So I think you, you can make a pretty good, fair assumption that taxes are going to go up in future years. All right, and let's say you're a middle-income taxpayer, and you're saying, oh, well, geez, I'm not in the highest rate. This doesn't apply to me. But even middle-income taxpayers have an issue with, with uh, qualified dividends and capital gains, don't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So retirees, too. My dad's retired. He gets a lot of dividends. Right now, he only pays tax, maximum tax rate of 15%. And he's in Florida, so he doesn't pay a state tax. 
if they raise the, div- ra- the dividend rates are proposed to go up to regular, normal income tax rates next year, unless Congress does something. That could be as high as 39.6% plus the 3.8% Medicare surcharge. So dividends can take a big beating unless Congress does something. All right, and so, so one thing is, um, unless Congress does something, the dividends are going to be taxed as ordinary income. So let's, e- let's even say for a 25% taxpayer, before they were taxed at 15%, now it'll just be taxed at 25%. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. All right. And then let's say you were a 15% taxpayer. All right. Well, that's another interesting point. It used to be if you were in the 15% bracket or less, your capital gains rate was zero. Right. You paid nothing. Uh, if, uh, I think the proposal is, it's, again, it'll go back to your normal rate. So if you're 15%, you'll pay 15%. All right. So let, let's, uh, let's assume that, um, that, that you're taking the basic position, hey, taxes are going to go up, you should plan accordingly. I, I, I will be, f- be honest and fair to say that there are other people who say, well, we don't know what's going to happen, maybe you should wait. And I guess when, one thing you could do if you really want to split the baby is to have to kind of stand and be ready with a whole bunch of moves that you would presumably implement if we knew a little you bit know, more. You know, my response to that you, is you if, don't you like that to, one. If, you, if you fail to plan, then you're going to plan to fail. Well, where have I, I heard that before? I, I, I think in either case, you should, you should, in effect, have your hand, you should have everything ready to go. Right. Um, so, so why don't we talk about a couple specific things? Um, wh- and w- we, we probably have time for one thing uh, before we're going to have to take a break. But one of the things that we have never really done very much of in the past, other than exceptional situation, is what I have heard other um, tax experts call capital gain harvesting. That is accelerating capital gains into 2012 so you don't have to pay the higher rates when you sell if you if you're planning on selling an asset in the next couple years in 2013 or 14 what do you think about um, somebody who has an appreciated stock or some type of capital gain property and was let's say they weren't planning on holding it for the next 10 or 20 years should that person sell it prematurely pay taxes sooner or pay taxes now as opposed to just hanging on to it and taking your chances on what capital gains rate will be in the future. What do you think about that? Well, if you're going to assume the tax rates are going to go up for 2013 and thereafter, then this is more than just about capital gains. This is true of income, too. You want to accelerate your income this year as well. Taxes could well be on sale, to be honest with you. Well, but, uh, we're, 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 we're going to get to that one. But, okay. But, 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 but d- 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 David said, David's waving his hand, so I was just starting with one very specific let's thing. Take, let's take it. The answer is yes. I would sell the capital gains property this year. And I'll tell you something interesting. Let's assume you somehow love this thing. You think the stock is going to do phenomenally. You think, you know, you should have held on to this. There's no such thing as a wash sale rule. There's nothing that prevents your gain from, from being taxed. You can sell the stock, and if you want, a day or two later, buy it back. Right. And you pay tax on the gain, and you can still hold on to your assets. Right. So what people sometimes remember is the wash rule, that, but that applies to capital losses, not Only capital losses. gains. That's correct. 
Well, on that note, let's take a break now. And when we return, Jim and Sandy will continue the conversation. If you have a question or comment, call the KQV studios at 412-333-9385. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM 1410. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. Uh, welcome back, Sandy. So, so what we were talking about was, in effect, capital gain harvesting. That is, if you have an appreciated stock that you were planning on selling in the next couple of years anyway, um, Sandy is recommending, and it makes a lot of sense to me also, sell it now enjoy the lower capital gain rates and then also um, get step up and then as sandy mentioned if you really love that particular stock or fund you can buy the exact same thing and in effect you increase the basis at the relatively low current capital gain rate is that correct that is correct and by the way that's very contrary to what we uh, cpas and, and and the state planning attorneys would have recommended in prior years. In prior years, you recommend, hey, take all your losses against your capital gains. You don't have to pay tax on the gains or as little tax on the gain. Here, if you assume that tax rates are going to go up, which I think is very, very likely, uh, we're actually taking the tax or taking the gain and not offsetting the losses this year. We're waiting till next year. Yeah, and and by, and by the way, that, that's also contrary to the subtitle of my book because the, the, the name of my of my main sh- flagship book is retire secure pay taxes later and then now this is no you pay taxes now because you pay pay it at a lower rate that's exactly right which is the thesis of, of part of the thesis of what i cover in my new book achieve financial freedom big time too by the way i've discussed this as well yeah and and and, and by the way I, I i am a big fan of your books i have not spent as much time with achieve financial freedom um what's well, brand new well uh, yeah it, 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 it is new but I, I will just say that I like your writing style. You, you have a kind of a little bit of a quirky sense of humor. And you, you also have, frankly, more guts than virtually any author or tax author I know. A lot of times people say, well, this is the black letter law and you should really kind of uh, fall within it. And you're more like, well, let's push this to the limit to get the greatest tax savings well, I have two things going for me, by the way, Jen, that, that most people don't have who are writers. First thing is I can be independent. I don't take clients. I don't have a practice. And the second thing is that if you take a look at my Lower Your Taxes book, and the same thing is true with the Achieve Financial Freedom, but more in the Lower Your Taxes Big Time book, uh, everything is footnoted to the Internal Revenue Code regulations, rulings, and case law. So I back everything up based you, on some authority. You do. You back it up incredibly well. Anyway, before we leave capital gains... I want to bring up a particular group of people that should really take advantage of this that aren't. So I have a lot of clients who have highly appreciated assets. They they got it way back when and let's say that there's, you know, that they have basis of $10 and something that's now worth $100 and they say, "Oh geez, I don't want to sell it because if I if I sell it now, I'm going to have a capital gain of $90." And one of the problems that I see with a lot of clients is the total amount of one particular stock 
might vastly exceed the general rule if you don't want more than one or two percent of your portfolio in any stock. Sometimes it's as high as 10, 20, and even higher. Would this be a particularly good time for people like that to sell the stock and rather than buy it back, let's say go into something like a, a better, well-diversified portfolio? You know, it's funny you mention that because I, I have a whole chapter, an investment chapter. When you read it, you'll see what I'm talking about on Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. And that I get into that specifically about rebalancing your portfolio. And I, and I strongly believe that everybody should have a very diversified portfolio. And if one stock is way more, way larger percentage of your portfolio, then in my judgment, they should definitely sell some of it and move it around to other things. And, and it sounds like 2012 as opposed to 2013 would be a much better year to do that. That is correct. All right. Now, to be fair, I guess we have to mention the one exception. Let's say that you're in your late 80s, early 90s, you're in frail health, and your plan is to never sell the stock until you die. And that, that might be one of the exceptions that you might not want to sell it to incur capital gains rates and that you would, in effect, plan to die with it and enjoy a full step-up in basis. That's correct, although I have to admit that's not my favorite technique, dying. Um, that, that, that's actually pretty fair. And the other, the other problem that I have with that is, depending on how long your life expectancy is, you can really be risking a downturn, not in the market, but in that one particular stock. And, and I'll tell you what the discussion that I've heard a hundred times is, well, gee, it pays a great dividend. I really like it. I worked for the company. Um, and by the way, if you're still working and you have stock in that company, then you're doubly exposed because you could lose your job and your portfolio. You know, it's funny you mention that because, again, I get into that as well. One of the worst things you can do is you work for a company, and the company says, ah, oh, we'll give you this 401K, and we'll give you a special deal to buy our company stock, which people buy loads of because we're going to get a special deal. And then what happens is when the company goes under like it did with Enron, you lose your job, you lose all your investments, and now you're out in the street. That is the big problem. That is why you should almost never actually put a lot of money in your own company stock. I, I, I think that that is very sound advice. And one of the things that I think a good advisor will do is not necessarily just try to get you the highest return on the upside, but will try to protect you on the downside. And, Absolutely. And avoiding company stock in your IRAs and retirement plans or even just investments um, is probably a good way of protecting you from the downside. Absolutely. Uh, by, by the way, I will tell you a personal story. Um, when, when I was married, my wife had a pretty high concentration in some regional uh, bank stocks, and they were sold to her by a broker who said, oh, these stocks are wonderful, never get rid of them, they pay a high dividend, they're always going to appreciate, don't let ever, anybody ever talk you into selling them. And, you know, life went on for a while. She had them. She enjoyed big dividends. And uh, when when we met with the money manager, and as, as you may or may not know, Sandy, my general business arrangement is I work very closely with a number of money managers, uh, one being an active money manager, the other being well, actually several active money managers. And I also work with um, low-cost index advisor money managers. But... Um, when we were meeting with the money manager, he said, and, and then by the way, so the upshot of that is that the client gets the best of my advice, 
and we have at least annual meetings. We run numbers for Roth IRA conversions, etc. Sure. The money manager manages the money, and rather than paying us each a fee, we actually have one combined fee that's as low or lower than than you would expect from any one of us, rather than just two of us. So that's that's basically my my assets under management model, which has has worked well for me. But anyway, so we're meeting with the money manager, and the money manager is saying to my wife, oh, geez, you have you know, way more than 2% of your portfolio in this one stock. I really think that we should sell it and uh, diversify. And she kept saying no for about two or three years. And then finally one day, and I don't really like to nag her too much, but finally one day she relented and said, okay, let's get rid of it, or at least get rid of most of it, which she did. And... After she did that, those those banks were bought by Citibank that then d- d- proceeded to lose about 90 or 95% of its value. So she would have basically lost tens of thousands of dollars. And that's the reason you don't want too much of any one stock in your portfolio. So no one's, no one's going to write a book, put all your eggs in one basket. And that's <laughs> what I say in exactly in my book, Achieve Financial Freedom Big Time. It's all there. You're going to love my book. It's right in, in accord with your philosophy. All right. Well, we, we, are, we are in good. Um, actually, right now, you know, we're, we're really on the same, same wavelength. So you started to say, when, when I was starting to limit the, cap, the discussion to capital gain, you were starting to say, well, maybe what you should be doing is doing the opposite of what we do normally, which is to defer income. You're saying accelerate income. Is that right? That's exactly right. Accelerate income and defer expenses, which I have to admit, I'm a little surprised I'm saying this. Because for years, I never said that. <laughs> it was the reverse. All right. Well, I, I, by the way, I think that this is very interesting advice that you're not going to hear a lot of. Um, let me ask you another specific question. Uh, the charitable deduction, what we have, and the numbers I've read run have indicated it's not a huge savings, but it is a savings that people like to make charitable deductions out of their minimum required distribution. So for our listeners who are over 70 and they have a minimum required distributions, in prior years you could direct at least a portion of those minimum required distributions to the charity of your choice. That is correct. And then what would happen is you wouldn't get a charitable deduction, but you also didn't have to pay income tax on the distribution. And that feature, I believe, is expiring this year. Yeah, that that actually has expired. Mm-hmm. Um so right now you're not allowed to do that, but we're right. hoping that that will change. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't you can't plan on on a hope and a prayer. Okay, so so you're saying right now unless they unless they make the change before year end because they're talking about changing it retroactively. So let's say that they might change it in December or I'm sorry January or February 2013. You're saying that that is too big of a chance. Don't plan on doing that unless they actually pass it this year. That is correct. Or at least you know that it's in Congress. There's a bill already submitted and it looks like there's a good chance it'll pass. At least that. Okay. All right. Um, By the way, I want to emphasize, you mentioned something about the guy who's age 80 or 90. I think you'll agree with me that although I believe everyone should own something, should have some stock, generally the older you are, the less you should have exposed to stock market risk. Well, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, one, of the, one of the money managers that I work with, P.J. Denuso of Denuso Index Advisors, he talks about a glide path where he, over time, 
um, increases his client's portfolio exposure to bonds and fixed income. Right. So, for example, the, his clients in their 50s would have a much more aggressive and long-term um, and, frankly, more stocks. Versus and, somebody who's 80 or 90. Right, who, who right. would have more bonds. The, the only thing that I would say with that is I have a lot of clients who, are, who lead relatively frugal lifestyles. And realistically, even let's say somebody who is spending $5,000 a month and they have Social Security, and they have, let's even take the extreme, they have $2 million, there is an argument that at least a portion of that money should not be invested like a guy in their 70s or 80s, but should be invested for somebody who is in their maybe 40s or 50s, that is that client's child, and that would be a more long-term investment, and that would be also a, the, I, I would tend to favor Roth IRA and Roth IRA conversions for that money. Maybe. And that's particularly true for this year, by the way. We talk about Roth IRA conversions. Again, you want to want to pick up your income this year and defer your deductions. And you're going to do a Roth IRA conversion or even an IRA distribution. I took a, I'm taking an IRA distribution this year. This is the year to do it. All right. Well, well you, you, know, you know that that's one of my favorite topics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I do have what, if you, if you type in Roth IRA right now on Amazon, my book does come up, number one. It's called The Roth Revolution, Pay Taxes Once and Never Again. So that's obviously one of my favorite issues, and I write about it, and I think about it, and I talk about it. Um, and w we're actually going to have a workshop on November 7th, which has not ha been advertised um, on the radio or anywhere yet, um, and that's actually going to be on Roth IRA conversions um, because I was actually in Las Vegas and I heard um, our friend Bob Keebler talk and he was, he was saying some of the same things that you are and he was saying, hey, this is a great year for Roth IRA conversions. Um, so notwithstanding your regular opinion on a Roth, although frankly I'm always interested in that, um, by the way, I, I will tell the audience my opinion my opinion is you have to what we call run the numbers so what we do is with um, actually two types of financial software w and, and not only two types of Roth IRA conversion software but also 1040 software we actually um, in effect model let's say let's to simplify it three scenarios one is doing nothing Two is making a very significant Roth IRA conversion, and three is maybe make a series of Roth IRA conversions based on tax bracket, and then see which one does better. So that's that's our normal. Let's well, you say know, it's, it's interesting you mention that because when I do seminars, which I do over the country, that's how I make most of my money with seminars and books and miscellaneous things. But uh, for years, I would say up to about this year, I recommended people set up a 401k or a pension plan, get a deduction for it. I've changed my mind. I think with the way tax rates are going to be going, I'm actually now in favor of people doing Roth IRAs and Roth 401ks instead of the deductible ones, or in addition to the deductible ones. I'm, and I feel very strongly about that. All right. And, uh, and, and by the way, that, that's, uh, that is a change because we have talked about this um, before. So let's, let's take that one step further. You're a fan of of Roth IRA contributions and Roth 401k contributions for Correct. those people who are still working. Let's talk about some of our retired listeners 
um, who, let's say, are no longer eligible to make a Roth IRA contribution because they mm-hmm. no longer have earned income, but let's assume that they have, uh, let's oversimplify and say it's two types of money. One is uh, traditional IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, SEPs, KEOs, et cetera, which all lump together and call retirement plans. And the other type is what I would call after-tax dollars, that is money that they have already paid tax on. Um, are you now advocating uh, that they consider Roth IRA conversions? Well, you know, a lot of it depends on how old they are. I mean, if somebody is 85, 90 years old, and they may not live a, more than a couple years, you know, doing a conversion now, paying all the tax, may not make a lot of sense. But if you're talking about somebody who's 60, 50, uh, 70, oh, yeah, I am. All right, and, and let, let's assume that in general you're a fan. By the way, I might have a little disagreement with you for the, for the older ones, but I don't want to get into that. Um, cause, cause, cause we have done what we call deathbed conversions, okay. but, but, but without getting into that technical discussion, um, could you talk about if you're going to do this, does it make sense to do the conversion in 2012 or 2013? Well, obviously if you're going to assume tax rates are going to go up, which I'm assuming it makes a lot of sense to do it now. All right. And again, especially with the market doing as good as it, as it is, you take take your profits now, basically. In a way. Absolutely, you get yeah. the maximum profits, right. and you pay minimum tax. Sounds like a win-win to me. Well, and it does sound like a win-win. And <laughs> but it's now time for one more break. When we return, Jim and Sandy will continue the conversation. The Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks, featuring the expert advice of Pittsburgh-based CPA attorney Jim Lang. More coming up on KQV AM fourteen ten. The Lang Money Hour continues on KQV AM 1410. For all of your financial needs, turn to Lang Financial Group in Squirrel Hill, 412-521-2732. Let's talk more smart money. And welcome back to the Lang Money Hour with Jim Lang and Sandy Botkin of the Tax Reduction Institute. There's about 10 minutes left to go in the show, but you can still join the conversation if you call KQV Studios at 412-333-9385. And before, because when Sandy and I get going, it's hard It's hard to stop us. So before I forget, I want to just mention the books that are available, which I think are kind of like the bargain of the century. Um, one, the the first book that I know and love and, and always refer to, and I've actually given to my tax preparers and, and told them to read it, is Lower Your Taxes Big Time. Now... The if you want it immediately, um, because you want to plan, and most a lot, mo- a lot of the advice, frankly, is somewhat timeless. Um, it the you can get the 2011 and 2012 version immediately, either on Kindle or or hard copy. If you are willing to wait, uh, the new book, the lower your t- taxes big time, 2013 to 2000. You mean achieve financial freedom big time. Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah. no, no. I'm, I haven't got to that one yet. That's the problem with you prolific guys. He's on his fifth edition of <laughs> Lower Your Taxes Big Time. Um, that'll be available December 7th, and what I'm doing is I'm, I'm pre-ordering it. So I, it's done while I'm thinking about it. It's, it's $11.55 through Amazon. I can't even imagine um, such a good deal. All right, so that's his classic book that has been around for a long time that I always like, and then his newest book, um, 
which is achieve financial freedom big time. So it's kind of like the big time, um, I guess, is your moniker or your uh, identification or logo. But it's a achieve financial freedom big time, and that has probably some some more classic views, some of which you have brought up. Correct. All right. By the way, I do want to emphasize this is a very important year for income tax planning, and I think everyone listening should really consider going to you, going to their accountants, but really start looking at things. It could be an example of a small thing, but it's, you know, this is just one example. If you buy a new car that you use in business or a new vehicle, you get this year 50% bonus depreciation on the cost of the vehicle, on the business use of the vehicle. Problem is, if you expect tax rates to go up, you don't want that 50%. And it's automatic unless you elect out of it. And if you elect out of it, then you get the depreciation over the next five years instead of taking most of it this year. And there are issues like that that have to be considered. And there's dozens and dozens of issues like that that people really need to take a look at as a result of what I think is going to be happening in the next few years. Well, uh, again, I've, I, I've, I do think that uh, your book is good for everybody, but the people who will get tremendous value from it are actually people who, who own small businesses. Correct. Beca because a, a lot of the advice is, is specifically for those That's folks. correct. For the lower your taxes big time, that is designed specifically for small business people. The and how would you define is not. How do you define small business? Because and I've heard in some of the other conversations, I mean, your single practitioners are a small business. There are you're right. Anyone who is a, anyone who pays money to make money is small business. Independent contractors, sole practitioners, doctors, lawyers, consultants, network marketers, any actors, anybody who's 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 given a 1099 who's pays or, or who's who's got a, who pays money to make money. Right, and and Sandy's obviously a big fan of actually figuring out some way to create your own business and take some of the appropriate deductions for well, it's that. it's got to be a legitimate business. I don't advocate illegitimate businesses. Well, sure, deductions. sure. <laughs> um, and, 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 and by the way, um, I, I don't think we've ever talked about this, Sandy, but one of my favorite techniques, let's say that we have somebody who has uh, been working um, in a traditional job and they have after-tax dollars in their IRA or retirement plan, um, I am a big fan of if they can somehow get some independent income start their own 401k plan and then we have a really fun maneuver that in effect isolates the after-tax dollars in an IRA put the other retirement plan money in a 401k and then we make a Roth IRA conversion for free so that would be another benefit of having a being a an effect treated oh, like no a question. consultant being having a business really opens up and there's lots of deductions that small business people get, that employees don't get. And that's why I've been a strong advocate of, of forming a business and finding a legitimate business that you might want to work, not to mention the fact that you might make enough money to quit your job. All right. Um, the, other th the, the other thing, that before, before we go, and, and, and one of the nice things about talking with you, Sandy, is that you not only have the training and experience um, as a CPA, but you're also an attorney. And we have some pretty drastic changes that may occur in the estate tax laws. That is, right now we have a current exemption of $5.2 million, and we also have what is called um, portability, which means that between a husband and wife, they could pass up to um, $10.4 million to their uh, children. 
But that's going to go, we're going to lose portability and when it's going to go down to a million dollars if nothing happens in 2013. What should somebody who has an estate of more than a million dollars do right now? Well, that's really where the biggest uncertainty is. There's no question in my mind, if I had to be a betting, if I had to bet, that income tax rates are going up. State's another story. Both candidates want to increase the exemption for estate tax. Even Obama, who's lower than what, what Romney wants to do, uh, wants to have a 3.5 million um, exemption. So I think you're going to see an increase in the exemption. I think we can assume that something will go up since both candidates want it. All right, so you're not a big fan of making massive gifts right now. Oh, no, I am, because you don't, that's not guaranteed. <laughs> okay. It's not guaranteed. So I am a big fan of making massive gifts right now. All right, so let, let's say that somebody has several million dollars, and uh, let's take two examples. One, they are in their early 60s, um, and obviously you don't want to give away money that you don't think you can afford to give away. But let's say that they do think that they could afford to give away uh, a very significant gift. And let's take that same question with somebody who was maybe in their 80s and 90s and quite frail. What would your advice to each, each of them be regarding making a gift um, before year end? Well, certainly, you know, as I said, we have two, we have two taxes. We have the income tax and, the, and we have the estate and gift taxes. Uh, you can there's no income tax on when you make a gift. You don't get a deduction. The person receiving it is not taxed on the income. So that part's good. There are, however, gift taxes when you make gifts. But the good news is you can give away up to uh, $5.2. Oh, okay. All right. So, all right. Go ahead. Per, per person, per year. How, mu how much is that free. again? Repeat that. I think Tim was over you. How, many, what's the, how much you can give? $13,000 per person per year gift tax free and if you're married you get a double you can we call it a split uh, gift exemption you get double that amount you can give away twenty six thousand dollars per person per year gift tax free and by the way these numbers are going up next year and, and by the way that does not eat into your once in a lifetime exclusion and does not eat into your once in a lifetime exclusion that is correct all right so you can give away thirteen thousand to your kids you can give away thirteen thousand to your their spouses you can give away thirteen thousand to your grandkids you can give away 13000 to your cousin, and you can do this every year. That's right. And, and, and by the way, that's $13,000 or twenty six if you're married per beneficiary, not per donor. That's correct. Per beneficiary, not per donor. That is absolutely right. So you can give away. So if you've got two kids and each of them are married, that's like four gifts plus a $26,000 apiece. And then if they have grandkids, that's another couple gifts. I mean, you can give away hundreds of thousands of dollars at, at gift tax-free if you do it right. Right. And not only gift tax-free, but even... Without eating into your exclusion. Now, do and without you, eating into your exclusion, that is correct. Now, let, let's, let's, let's take the situ situation where you, you, you have a lot of money and the annual gifts, you literally can't give away enough money. Would you consider a, what, what might be called a credit-consuming uh, credit gift? And we only have about one minute for the answer for that. <laughs> yes, you can. But, you know, one thing good about these gift taxes, and by the way, one thing I want to warn you about the gift taxes, is that if you give away too much, and if it's within the last three years of death, it could be pulled back into the estate. That's always a potential problem. And there's a lot of things that people can do. Life insurance should be planned for. You can, you can have life insurance included in your estate, or if you plan for it, you can have it excluded. seems to me you're much better off just simply excluding it. If you yeah. do it right. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, I will also t tell, tell you that the 
guaranteed type of life insurance policies that I, I like, um, there are going to be new life insurance reserve requirements starting January 1. And we're going to see increases in the premiums for permanent life insurance of anywhere between 9 to 16 percent and in some cases even more significant. In fact, that that's probably worthy of a show right there that we're not only getting increases in taxes and I am um, being waved at and we I'm so, <laughs> so, on, so, so thank thank you very much Sandy. It's okay. my pleasure. And thanks for listening to this edition of the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. And thanks to Sandy Botkin for sharing his financial insights. You can reach him at taxreductioninstitute.com. And as always, you can hear an encore broadcast of this show at 9.05 this Sunday morning here on KQV. And you can always access the archive of past shows, including written transcripts on the Lang Financial Group website, www.paytaxeslater.com. I'm David Baer. Thanks for listening to the Lang Money Hour, where smart money talks. Check out the show archives and listen on demand anytime at retiresecure.com. KQV listeners can receive free tickets to Jim Lang's Pittsburgh area workshops and more. Call the Lang Financial Group at 412-521-2732. That's 412-521-2732. And reserve your seats and meet Jim Lang in person. Again, that's 412-521-2732.